Hello, everyone, and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the privilege of speaking with Linda Joyce. Linda is a woman of many talents, writer, lecturer, life coach, and astrologer. Her vast experience has taken her into global arena where she solves personal and corporate issues in New York, London, Shanghai, and around the world. She's an author of two books, The Day You Were Born and The Star Within, and she is about to publish The Man Thing, 100 Interviews with Men. The Day You Were Born is a book I have taken a quoting with each of my guests, a book that reveals one's purpose. Each podcast, I read the connected purpose of my guests from this book, and eight out of ten times they are moved by what they hear. I was moved when I read mine, and I am truly grateful and excited to spend some time with Linda today, and, and as her book truly left a mark on me. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. So nice to be here and meet you, too. Yeah. So... You are a new New Yorker, or you grew up in New York, or you no, were? Well, I've been here for forty some years, so I'm a New Yorker by now. But yeah. um, but um, I was born in Minnesota, and I grew up in Arizona. Mm, nice. <laughs> so from junior high school on, and I went to the University of Arizona, and um, yeah. But I always wanted to live in New York. That was my dream since I was a little girl. Why and is that? I think I just fell in love with it through the movies, for one. But I love the melting pot, kind of, and the, 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 just the feeling of it. It spoke to me at some level. I can't even tell you. I was just determined to live in New York, and it didn't disappoint me. But in my generation, women didn't just take off and go get a job and live there. You had to kind of well, you had to have things set up, you know, my parents were very controlling and whatever. And so I became a Pan Am stewardess. Really? Okay, cool. Those days, that was the best job a woman could have for somebody who loved to travel and to explore the world. And the problem was getting accepted uh, as a Pan Am stewardess because they turned down a lot of women. Mm. And I had never really had a job except teaching Italian at the University of Arizona. I just graduated and I and my professor and I were, he thought it was great and gave me the job. I never had an interview, um, but I was determined. And guess what? In the newspaper, two, two weeks before the interview with Pan Am, but first of all, my parents were totally against it. <laughs> I was totally on my own uh, but you know it was life or death to me I wanted to get out of the house and, and have my own life and um, so I decided to go on a dry run to American Airlines and it was the best decision I ever made because I answered every question wrong <laughs> I, I answered them exactly truthfully and as I was taught to be. So how long have you wanted to fly for American? For about three weeks. And after even that comment, it just went downhill from that point on. And when I left, I knew I had failed terribly. And I only had two weeks or a week to get my act together. And I realized when I took the brochure that there was an image they were projecting. And I had to mold myself to that image. And I had to sell myself. I couldn't just sit there and answer a question. I had to also offer something on my own. And so by the time I got to Pan Am, I was the woman I was going to be. I was a little shy back then. Uh, they wouldn't say that about me today. But back then I was a little shy and I was a little rest. But when I walked into that Pan Am interview, I'm telling you, uh, how long have you wanted? Since I was a little girl, I dreamed of flying for Pan Am. <laughs> 
250 girls they interviewed at the University of Arizona, and they only took two, and I was one of them. That's I, awesome. I got two, one rejection from American Airlines almost the same day in the mail, and the other, the acceptance of Pan Am. And it just goes to show you that you shouldn't be defeated by failure. You should learn from it. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. if you learn from it. It's your stepping stone to greatness. And I'm telling you, I learned a lot from that first one. <laughs> And I did everything wrong. <laughs> well, you didn't, but I listened to you and it's interesting. You had a strategy. You had a strategy to go into the first one as a test. And then you figured things out and you went into the real one that you wanted. I and figured it. how strategic I had been all my life, if you want to know the truth, because I was always interested in people, always wanted to analyze them. And like, why did that get somebody angry? And why did that make somebody happy? And what was the, what were the triggers? You know, I was always fascinated with that I think you're born with that you know I almost went into psychology and I'm so glad I didn't because I would have learned to think in a certain box mm-hmm. going into astrology I just got into the other stuff um, so what did what did becoming a an airline uh, stewardess stewardess at that time as they would call them um, do for you in terms of creating a confidence or an, a sense of what you could achieve beyond that First of all, you probably don't know this, but being a Pet Am stewardess back in those days was like being a celebrity. Hmm. Every man on the earth wanted to date you. (laughs) 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 So much a celebrity. So when, and all the famous people and businessmen, it wasn't a place for, for the average person to fly that much. Only really wealthy people and business people flew. I mean, there were a few others, but it wasn't really mainstream mm-hmm. to, to fly just for fun. And so I flew. Well, just think, first of all, I traveled a lot because my parents loved to travel. And I had been to Europe before I became a Pan Am stewardess. And my, and both, my mother particularly loved to travel. So that was ingrained in me. But when I flew for Pan Am, they also, the training was really very strong. They taught you how to behave. It was almost like like glamour class. You know, you had to learn how to sit, to talk, to walk, uh, how to put on ma- makeup. I always loved to put on, but a lot of women never wore makeup and never put on anything. So, so it was it was a real exposure. Then you were exposed to people from all over the world. The wonderful thing about it, which is why I love New York, I guess, I love that melting pot. You know, Pan Am was one of the few airlines that hired people of all nationalities from all over the world. And, um, and they were always way ahead of their time in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the way of thinking and opening new ports and new lands. And they treated their employees so well. It's still like a family. People still get together and talk about it. The clubs and the people who used to fly. It was a wonderful experience. I only did it for a couple of years. Um, but it was a very special time because I got to see the world. I went all over. Mm-hmm. I went down to South America. I went to Europe. I went to Asia. I went to Africa. I was on the original flight to opening up to South um, to uh, Cape Town in Africa, and all the all the um, what did the people take you on those uh, safari? Heads of safaris were guests on the plane, and I got invited back by hundreds of people. Never did go, but I would have loved to have. But you had endless opportunity. Yeah, that's You could awesome. take advantage of it. Yeah, really cool. So, 
just to swing back to before you became a Pan Am uh, stewardess, what you you mentioned that your parents were, I guess the word was tough on you or restrictive or whatever. What was life growing growing up with you? It was kind well, of they uh, were both creative. They yeah. were both really on one level. As long as I didn't want to think for myself, my parents were wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you will do. <laughs> well, no, because as long as you did what they thought you should do, they were creative. It was fun. We traveled. I mean, my father was the man. He was a writer also. And he and my mother was incredibly creative. And I, she could do anything. My mother could pick an electric lamp or she could make you a dress or she could cook a fabulous dinner or she could talk philosophy. I mean... I was raised in a very creative environment and I loved it. But as I got older, they did not want to allow me to think for myself that mm. I was always an original thinker and it wasn't working for me. Mm. My sister, it worked a little bit better for because she, she stayed closer to home than I did, but she did come become a Pan Am stewardess with me. I got her out. Oh, you both did it. That's kind of cool. Did you used to do the same flights at all? We did do a few things. Oh, that's cool. We shared an apartment in New York City in Gramercy Park. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure in another conversation we get into all the mischief that you guys got oh. into as sisters back in those days. <laughs> Actually, we're writing a book on it, too, called Pan Am Sisters, The Golden oh. Age of Travel. That would be very it cool. Is full. And all of those stories are real. I'm telling you. It was amazing. So it, it opened you up to yeah. new, but you know what? My mother was an international sh- cook. Um, my father was German and French, but my mother was Italian. She had Mexican workers. She, she before people knew what a tortilla was, she knew how to make her own tortillas. And Mex- I grew up with Mexican food, German food, Italian food, in a time where you didn't have all those fast foods all over the place to taste them or whatever. So my mind was always filled with, you know, different mm-hmm. things and different people and different food. Foods, it's funny, you eat, you eat foods of different lands, it does open you, it just, every time you do something different, it actually awakens you to new possibilities, so. Mm-hmm. What took you away from uh, the airline then, and what, where did you go from I there? I got married. You got married, oh, so did you meet your husband on a flight? I didn't meet him on a flight, but I met him during training. He, okay. like many of the the men down there used, he was visiting a friend of his and, and we, all the stewardesses stayed at the Miami Airways Motel, which was across the street from the, the school. And so weekends or whatever, after hours there, I mean, when I was sitting out there with the pool with three of my girlfriends and, and a tray of gin and tonics came out, you know, uh, and <laughs> was followed by these guys. And I think I turned, they invited us this is what made it difficult. They invited us for dinner at uh, the, the Playboy Club. Mm-hmm. Now, that was something I always wanted to go to. So. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't an experience I still remember. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my first dates in Miami was to the Playboy Club. So it was like coming from Tucson, Arizona, where there wasn't that much to show you. Um, yeah. It was very exciting. He lived in New York, which was the magic word. And I thought, well, I'm transferring to New York. I should keep in touch because he would be good. It's nice to have friends. So when I used to fly to New York on the way down to Buenos Aires, which is Miami always serviced the New York 
Buenos Aires route, I would call him up and I would fix his friend up with a girl on the airplane and we would all go out to dinner. So I knew him for a while on a more casual level until I moved to New actually transferred to New York because hmm. I had to fly a year out of Miami before I was able to transfer. It's interesting listening to you because, uh, you know, I guess um, that time in American culture has sort of a, an interesting vibe to it that people look back uh, in some ways very fondly of you. You have the stewardesses, like you said, and the Playboy bunnies and the uh, kind of yes. rocks, rocks with the show Mad Men and all that sort of stuff and the, and the drinks and the cigarettes and all that sort of oh world. <clears throat> do, do When you look back at it, does did it match what people's sort of fantasy viewpoint of it is looking back now, or is, was it really everybody was just well, as messed, messed no, up no, then as they are now? <laughs> fantastic in some ways. Of course, there were a lot of things that weren't working for it. But what it was good in is what people idealized, which was in some way when, and I'm one to break out of the rules, so here I'm saying, but there was something comfortable about having a role and not, and, and um, the men had their roles, women had their roles. And I never, and maybe this is because I never had the experience of really being limited. Um, so I'm not the perfect person to ask about that because really flying for Pan Am, I never felt a woman's limit. They treated women um, really as well as the men. And so if I had gone to work as a secretary, but you know, the, what were my choices? I have to tell you how I thought of becoming a Pan Am stewardess because we were sitting around the living room with my sister and two male friends of ours. We were just, just really good friends. And we were, what are we going to do now that we graduated or we're going to graduate, some of them? And I was saying, I don't know what I want. I didn't want to be a secretary. That's mm. what women could do. Mm. But you were a secretary. You were a nurse. Certainly wasn't going to be a nurse. I was teaching at the university, which I loved knowledge. I loved university stuff. But it wasn't what I imagined myself to do my whole life. I didn't have any clue what I wanted to do. And so my sister's boyfriend said, well, I know what I would do. He said, if I was a woman, I'd be a Pan Am stewardess. <laughs> and when he said those words, I have to tell you, the world stood still. The lights came on inside of me like you wouldn't believe. And I just knew, oh, my God, this is the perfect job. I would travel. I would have a job before I left home. I would work for the, a very respectable company. I could be based in New York City. All my boxes were checked. I just had to be accepted. Yeah. <laughs> So then you do it and then you find this hubby to be and you get married and you do all the things that everybody told you you were supposed to do as a girl growing up, et cetera. And, and then, and then what? So you kind of become a mom and, and I was reading the whole thing about how you discovered astrology, which we'll go into a little bit later, but in reading it, I had this feeling like I was a housewife and I kind of, you know, then I, I kind of dream. learned about this and I was I like, my dream. You I so you, I had the, house that I dreamed of having I had the boy first and then the girl I mean you know I mean I have to say I had a lucky star and I was happily married and um but I was happily married because how is it not happy when one person does everything to make the other person happy you know mm -hmm. <laughs> it's only when you start to think differently 
like my parents, <laughs> that it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. So I, for a long time, I was very happy to have that part of my life because I lived what I thought was the way I should have, and I enjoyed it. It wasn't a sacrifice. I really enjoyed running the household, having a very big social life, two children that are still wonderful uh, kids today. They're not so much kids anymore. They're grown-ups. But, um, but yes, I had, I had a wonderful life. And then, and then, you know, what happens is in my kind of brain, I need, I need to be challenged. I was, I was looking for something to challenge me. And, um, and that's when I discovered astrology, too. So, so you described you walked into this uh, gentleman, Peter DeVries' office to have a reading. And how did that all come to, how did that all come to pass? He didn't have an office. He was recommended by a girlfriend of mine. Okay. And I, he actually was staying at an ashram up on 86th street, city yoga. And I actually, I met him there and we went across the street to a diner. And I thought, well, she's, you know, it was, I just did it for fun. I thought, okay, what's he going to tell me? Well, I have to tell you. Talk about transformative moments. This guy knew me better than anybody else in my life, and I never said a word to him. Wow. And um, actually, I had an older sister who died of cancer, and he wanted to rectify my chart, which is to, they don't accept the exact time you tell them. They work back from certain events in your life, and then they come up with the time. And it's probably around the time you gave them, but they might adjust it a few minutes, which doesn't really make that much difference. But he was an exact perfectionist. So I gave him the time. To, you know, I had some major markers in my life when we moved and when my sister passed away. And he, I told him, because I knew my sister passed away like two days after her birthday. And he, I said she would, died when she was 18, I think, or 21. I forget which one I said. But he said to me, no, she didn't. <laughs> I said to him, excuse me. <laughs> it's my sister. <laughs> you weren't there. <laughs> he said, and he did it twice. He said, she couldn't have died then. And I got her age of death because I, in my mind, it was coming of age. So it was 18 or 21. I forget which one I chose but it was the opposite. He said, do me a favor, call your mother. Now we didn't have cell phones then, so I had to go to the payphone in the diner and call my mother and she answered the phone. I said, mom, I come back and he's right and I'm wrong. Now that's how I start the reading. Wow. And and I finish it with just as big as a bang because he shared, he knew my intimate thoughts. He knew how I felt about so many things. I left that thinking, okay, if he knows this and this, this astrology, there is a plan. And if there is a plan, there must be a God. So it just kind of awakened me to a whole different way of looking at the world. And I hired him on the spot to teach me astrology. Wow. And he became my first teacher. And he used to tell me I'd become a professional. And I thought he was crazy because I just was curious. So then you go into astrology and, and, and as a practice, but uh, to... No, first for many, for a couple of years, just, just to learn it. 
just to learn it. And, and then I and think meet everybody, you know, for free and, you yeah. know, the whole thing, every relative, every friend, and, and you learn by doing, and, and then you take a few classes or you buy a few books. And I had a, a few teachers. Uh, he was, he was my teacher for a while, but I went to other teachers progressed and they all had a different way of looking at a chart, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. And so you learn from all of them. So the way you and I have collided for the listeners is um, I've told this a little bit on a couple of my podcasts, but I'll tell the story so that the listeners uh, are clear on why you and I are talking today. But I uh, picked up a book the day you were born, which uh, you wrote um, probably in 2001. And I had just been divorced and I'd always found astrology an interesting topic. What's your birthday uh, again? Mine is December 3rd, 1963. And so um, I am a, a Sag three <clears throat> and in Linda's book, um, you, she has each chapter and, and it basically combines the, and I'll let you talk more about it, but the concept of new right. astrology together. And I went to the page on Sag three and uh, I had had this uh, saying taped to my desktop for probably a good 15 to 18 years that said, some men see things as they are and say, why I dream things that never were and say, why not? And, it, I forget the original writer of the quote, but it was quoted by Bobby Kennedy quite many times. And then Ted Kennedy said it at Bobby Kennedy's funeral. And so that's where I had first heard it. And so this was something that really resonated with me and always has. And it sort of connected with what I felt was my purpose. And so then I read the purpose quote and that really sort of resonated with me. I could feel it. I could, I could sort of sense that those words made a lot of sense to me. And then the first line and what Linda does, and I want to find out about that afterwards, is each after each purpose, there's a, a quote. And the quote was the same quote. Some men see things as they are and say, why I dream things that never were and say, why not? And then it went into a number of different things about my personality and character and things like that that were, again, very, very resonant with me. So I was blown away. And so then when I started this podcast, I sought the opportunity to chat with Linda and I'm really glad we're here. So my first, one of my questions to you is um, where did you get the, for, for the purpose for each individual, how does that come together off of what you, uh, off of what you're, you're, you're doing? And then two, where did you get the idea for putting a saying afterwards and how did you connect those? Cause I'd really like to know how my purpose connected with this saying that I actually had taped to my desktop yeah. in some ways. You know, it's it's been almost twenty years since this has been written, but the the, the book, the book. Um, first of all, I I I wanted to um, when I studied Chaldean numerology, which related every number. First of all, reduced every number to one through nine, because if you add them together, that's what happens. But it also then relates that number back to a planet. So three would would also be like a double Sag. Three is really a Sagittarius number. Okay. And um, so every number you get like two different perspectives, kind of astrological perspectives. And so I'm studying astrology. I feel I know astrology. And so, um, so once you have that, you have a challenge. When you have the challenge between the number and the birthday, I started to realize because uh, I started to realize that that challenge creates, in many ways, the purpose. 
because mm. this is something you want to bridge, accomplish, overcome, contribute. It's all of that, but it's, it's seldom something that's totally easy. It's something we're driven to do, you know, in mm. some way. And um, so I, it was very hard for me to come up with. I'm reading them now, and I probably, what I, I have the rights to this book now, and I'm going to update it. Good. With new people and um, some new ideas. But the thing is this, is that I had to really, really contemplate and think about that purpose. And part of the reason I was able to do it is for each of these, each of the signs and numbers, I read like 20 biographies. So I get all those personal quotes in there and stuff. I read about 20 biographies. And what happened is if I didn't believe in astrology before I started writing this book, which of course I did, I would have become a confirmed believer because no matter what walk of life or where they were born, they saw the world from the same kind of perspective. Mm. And that was amazing to me. You would see it in the childhood and you could take a quote from one and put it in the mouth of another. Sometimes they were repeated. I would say, wow, this is like amazing. And I used other people's quotes because I wasn't well known at that time in any way. And I thought, well, people like to listen to famous people. So I started to do that and I didn't realize how much I would enjoy reading it because I love biographies to read. But I only read them up until the time they were famous. Then I wasn't interested. But <laughs> it was the struggle. It's how you get there, the concepts in your in your yeah. mind and in your idea. So, yeah. So by the time I read all those biographies and I got to writing, writing the piece, it was pretty clear to me what the people were saying and what they had to do. So how does the – I know that in each one you talk about how – when ego drives the role, it does yeah. this. When spirit drives the role, it does this. And what is what is what is your viewpoint of ego and spirit? Is that something that we're supposed are are in your viewpoint we're supposed to shift from ego to spirit, or we're supposed no, to have a, a healthy understanding of both? That, actually, that that would be nice to integrate them and add a third piece in the rewrite, because ego ego is really the selfish me. It's the ego. What do I want? Okay, I want a good life. I want to live in New York. I want, I want to travel. I want to do this. The ego wants these outer experiences. And, and they're good. We need to have those things. We need to have a goal and something we strive for or want to be president. I want to be this. Whatever you want to do, you know. It's kind of a, what you desire. You know, the ego takes over. This is what I want. This is what... I want to be recognized for this if you want recognition. Not everybody wants recognition, but whatever the ego says. So there's, um, there's a tendency if there's not any, if it's not balanced with spirit, that it will take you too much down that road and possibly you might live an imbalanced life because of it. Because to me, there has to be a balance between your inner world and your outer world if you're going to really be happy. Because it's like, okay, most people think if I had enough money, I would be happy. No, they have all the money in the world, and all of a sudden they're still not happy because they haven't dealt with their real issues, you know. And that's why money makes a lot of frustrated. I have a lot of very wealthy clients, and they're not necessarily happy. Some of the poorer ones are much happier, you know, because, you know, unfortunately, when you can pay for 
one of my most favorite quotes, which came after this book, is, we don't have the money, so we're going to have to think. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> it is by an anonymous person. And it's so true, because you don't have to do the same work if you have the money. You just pay for the mistake. Hmm. You, know, you move on but if you don't have the money and you have to figure it out it's like even my having to figure out a, smart enough to figure out that I needed to go to an interview first before I went to the one I really wanted that's strategist figuring it out and um, so ego, the ego is that part of us that leads us down the worldly path we want people to recognize us we want people to value what we do and your timing that makes my myself and my ego and my spirit feel good because i use my spirit to write this book too so the spirit is the inner world the spirit is is about the part of you that is connected to everything to a bigger world to a bigger consciousness to other people it is about the give and take it's not just about the self it's about what do you offer the world what do you get back from it and if you develop if you connect to your inner spirit in some way, the core of who you are, then that's going to be your biggest guide. You're going to have the outer quest, but that spirit's going to be the Geiger counter that really leads you to mm. where you need to go. And I saw the difference very early on when I, when I started to read charts. And some people were much more, you know, into the ego side and some were much more into the spiritual side. And most people... Um, the chart had a lot of opposites that didn't, that they never really taught you in those astrology classes. You know, what do you do when the chart says the opposite? It has all these opposites. You know, how do people do? Well, then I started to realize, well, one part was repressed and the other part was took over, was projected. And then usually the part that was repressed was projected onto relationships. Mm. So a lot of what we don't express, we bring into our lives. So how do you how would you counsel somebody to well not necessarily use the book but use use a sense or understanding of their purpose to sort of connect and I, the spirit and ego to connect to themselves better and to find find what they're truly all about because I think the biggest problem um, with people today is they have no clue who they are what they want where they're going you know I mean yeah you think. They, they want, I mean, they choose things for a lot of times all the wrong reasons. And, um, but most people don't understand themselves. Um, if you ask a lot of women, oh, oh, what are you looking for in a relationship? Well, you know, they'll start describing somebody almost physically rather than anything about their spirit and who they are and what kind of character they have. I mean, that's the part you're going to have to live with, mm-hmm. you know? And so what makes you happy? What makes you laugh? What, what do you like? Most people... People are very, you know, they're so interested today, particularly of putting their outer self out there in selfies and pictures. They don't have much introspection. Mm -hmm. It's really what makes you strong and I think great and and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. So if you are in touch with who you are. So my journey has taken me to validate my own voice myself more and more and more. And and now I trust my instincts so much. I am not intimidated by anybody because I know who I am. 
I know what I can do. I have no problem admitting what I can't. I love to learn from other people. I learn from all my clients too. There's always a new and original way to express something and I want to learn it. Mm -hmm. So I find that this place in my life now is so exciting because I'm confident, uh, I'm comfortable whether things work out or they don't. I think, well, they didn't, it wasn't meant to be. My name wasn't on it. Doesn't mean though, I try for everything I really want. I put my 100% effort into it. And if you do that and you let go, it'll either come to you or you won't. But if it doesn't come to you, it may lead you to the next step. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that, that may be where you were really meant to be. A friend of mine has a nice quote. quote I, I have, I expect everything, but do not attach to outcomes, which is kind of a need to... Yeah. Neat way of looking at it. I'm, this is a good segue for your purpose, which I'm going to read to you, which you sent. Uh, you told me that, and I'm sure you already know it, but I'm, I want to. Play I had to look it up because I haven't looked at the book in I, a long time, and I. <laughs> so uh, I'm making you revisit the book then a little yeah, bit. You're an Aquarius six, and your purpose is to gain strength and discrimination from within, so that you can manifest something wonderful in the world and slow down enough to enjoy your success. Blessed is he who makes his companion laugh, the Quran. Aquarius sixes have a love of truth and beauty and a natural social nature that makes them easy to get along with. Their date books are always filled because of their charisma and the knowledge of how to treat others, but they need discipline. Their hearts are either too big or they are loners who keep the distance from others. So I guess you haven't read it in a long time. When you look, when you hear that, does it, what does it say to you? Yeah, well, the thing is that number six, which is resonates with Venus, the planet Venus, which is a wonderful planet because it's love and values and money and social. But what it needs the most, and it rules Taurus and Libra, but what it needs, and, and this is so true, you have to learn when I say discriminate. What do I mean by discriminate? It means that you're given all these things, all these desires. Do you know which ones are good for you? Do you know which ones you really should have and not just what you want for the moment? Because without good discrimination, you'll go down a lot of wrong paths. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when I say wrong paths, it's good to go down a lot of wrong paths if they don't hurt you, as long as you learn from them and come back and get on track because experience is your best teacher. But a lot of people just follow their desires and they don't really focus on where they're going. So sex can be very mirandering through life and not as focused and directed as they need to be unless they learn to discriminate and choose what it is that's going to serve them and not just everyone else. If you choose what's right for you, then you'll be able to help others. Mm -hmm. And Aquarius energy is always about helping others. So how did you find that for yourself then? What? Well, it was astrology was the big well first of all even before astrology i was always the friend that everybody came to to tell their problems <laughs> <laughs> and, and as i said I, I was figuring out what to do as a little girl with like what made people tick you know i was always interested in that and i for, it was th certain things were very clear to me even before astrology i could see problems that other people didn't see or whatever so anyway i like that i i seem to enjoy that role but as an astrologer when i got divorced i had to earn more money during that time it was tough so i had to go professional it forced me to become a professional astrologer mm -hmm. i would never have done it and then all of a sudden i was thrown out into the world 
and I was giving astrology classes. I was doing this, and then eventually I started writing the book. But but I had been studying a long time, but I was I was never satisfied with what I was learning from a lot of people. And I think that's a great quality as long as you don't live in divine discontent forever. Do you know what I mean? It's like because you I never thought that that was the end answer. If it didn't make a hundred percent sense, I was always looking for a greater truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that quest for a greater truth is what keeps you learning and growing. And I have to say, I never read a chart the same way as I did six months ago because I see di- different things. Mm-hmm. When somebody comes back for a reading, I actually see the chart differently. And also, they're in a different place. Yeah, for sure. Do you think life is more about releasing to or to or pushing towards things when you when you hear that? Like releasing or going toward is yeah. life is about give and take, holding on, letting go. You can't have one without the other. Right. There, in astrology, you learn opposites are connected. And they're always there. So if I had trouble expressing anger when I was young, because my mother was the only one who could get angry. And my father got angry once a year. <laughs> my husband, he wasn't an angry man, but he, he had a... He had, he had a sharp tongue and a temper in some ways. I mean, he was, so he, I, I was always uncomfortable with how he could make other people uncomfortable. Guess what? I was attracted to that because I couldn't do it. So when you're not using it, you hate it and love it. And you don't know you love it because you hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you need it. Right. You need, must be whole. We will be attracted what's missing in us. And actually, it was my divorce that went on a long time that I had to learn to speak up for myself. And I would never have done it if I didn't have two children because I would not have, at that time, fought for myself that much. I would have just started over. But I had two kids, and I fought for them. So it gave me a stronger voice. And let me tell you something. If you don't go, those struggles in your life are there to teach you something. They're not there to torture you. They're there because it's the only way you'll stand up. And if you do not stand up and use and experience the lesson by having to do it. It's never yours. You can't just know, oh, I should be able to confront that person. I should be able to do this. You've got to do it to own it. Mm-hmm. And you, if you want to learn and grow, you will find yourself in a situation where you have to do it. Mm. And when you know, like having two kids and knowing what you know, um, you know, about them through this process of astrology, et cetera, is it, has it been, would it be in some sense different for you as a mom to sort of see it, who they are supposed to be in some sense, but, but not intervene in the, the process of them expressing that? Well, as a, an Aquarian who believes everybody's entitled to their own free expression, and it's the most unique expression when you use it and own it like everybody is entitled to their own existence just don't encroach on my on my (laughs) which my parents definitely wanted to do so and and so wait 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 wait, wait. oh my kids so from the beginning because my mother wanted to direct my life so did my father in many ways they 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 knew, you know, they were placing me where they wanted me to be. I never wanted to do that with my children. I wanted them to follow their own dreams, even if it was totally different from my expectations of them. And let me tell you, that's what they've done. Because 
I never would, you know, my son fell in love in Turks and Caicos. That's where he lives now. He fell in love with Turks and Caicos at 14 after my divorce. I took him down there for a vacation. And that's all he used to talk about as he grew up into his early 20s, that he wanted to live in Turks and Caicos. And I said to myself, well, the best way to get rid of a dream is to live it, right? <laughs> yep. It either works or it doesn't. The fantasy is, in reality, deals with fantasy real fast. So I sent him down there, and he never came home <laughs> because it was his dream. Yeah. It really was his dream, and he learned a lot. He was not an easy kid to raise because he had a mind of his own like you wouldn't believe. And he helped toughen me up because I had to own my power to deal with him. And uh, he has a very great restaurant, Boogaloo's, down there. It's, it's, it's one of the best on the island. And he has a landscaping business, and he loves it. He comes up all the time. He was just here. And my daughter now married an Italian and lives in Tuscany, and they're both in the wine business. And she, she fell in love with so many different men growing up, and we would have some really good discussions. But you know what? You have to, you have, to have experience to be wise. And I allowed my kids, if it was safe, I would allow them to have that experience. But I always gave them my advice and my wisdom, and I didn't try to stop them unless I had to. I tried to allow them to see. And then when they started to see that mom is not so stupid, what she said actually happened, they start to pay attention to you more than just because I said so. Mm -hmm. Nice. And it's hard because you have to let go. But you also have to let them grow into who they're supposed to be. And, and I'm the proudest because both my children have a strong voice. They know who they are. My daughter has, um, is amazing. She's a young woman. She didn't have it when she was younger. We had to work on it. But now, I'll tell you, I don't have to worry about her at all. Nobody's going to put her in there. And she does it nicely. She stands up for herself with respect for other people, but you're not going to put her... And, her, and, she, and she's able to confidence, she's able to get what she wants and go after it. And I think that's the, my greatest accomplishment is I, I actually put it to, to use in a real way, which is hard because most, it's very tough for a parent. You want them to be a certain way or to think it's, no, they're going to be their own person no matter what. And you have to understand who that person is. And, um, when you look at society today with um, so many people addicted to substance abuse and, um, you know, shopping and overweight and all the different stresses that are going on, what do you think we need to do less of and what do you think we need to do more of? Well, I'd go back to that knowing yourself. I think the biggest problem is that parents do all the right things except one very important thing. I'm not saying all parents don't do this. But if you don't get inside your child's head and ask them, what are your dreams? What do you want to do? You know, who are you? You know, explore who they are. What do they really like? And don't tell them no when they tell you something you don't like to hear. You know, talk about it. Have a debate on it. You know, when we finally moved from Pelham to New York, I used to live in Westchester. My daughter and I, when she went to high school, we used to, when she had a problem, we used to walk around Washington Square and have a conversation. And I value some of those times 
the most because she knew she could tell me almost anything and I would have it. I would tell her how I felt and believe me, even when they didn't want to hear it, but I learned not to harp. I learned not to repeat myself (laughs) because when you repeat too much, they shut down. They're not going to listen. You have to tell them what you feel. You'd have to tell them why. So then you share your wisdom when you, when you come up with why you disagree with them, not because you don't like it, not because you would choose somebody different, you know, my, like my, my daughter was in love with this guy at one time and he was a very sweet um, young man from South America. And I told her, I said, he's great for where you are now. I said, because you just came off, you're not feeling good about this other relationship. And he's very romantic and he's very sweet. I said, but you're an ambitious woman and you are going to want so much more than he does. And that, so down the line, I think it's going to be a real problem. Mm. Listen, it was terrible for my daughter. We laugh about it now. Every time she had a boyfriend and she used to ask me to read his chart. (laughs) I have to say, I have 100% accuracy on that account. I would tell her exactly what the problem would be. And it turned out to be right. So we finally agreed that we would not read the chart until later, until somebody stayed in her life longer and she really wanted to know. Because it's terrible to know everything without discovering it. So where do you, where do you see the astrology as a value proposition for people? Do you see it as a, as a guiding sort of oh, totally. light and space in the box? Oh, totally. I used to have somebody who used to hire people for their company and they used to call me up and I used to, it's really funny, and I used to read the chart of the person she was going to hire and I would tell them, you know, where the problems would be and where the strengths were. And I had this person's chart too so I could see how they were relating. But then it was funny because... The charts started all these different people and they didn't last that long. And all these different people started to sound like the same chart because the woman was attracting the same kind of person mm. because of who she was, not what she said she wanted. So I would point it out. And then I started to feel uncomfortable because it looked like I was making it up that I was like, <laughs> it's such a validation those experiences though that mm. we attract these projections of ourselves and our mind until we change who we are we don't change anything people go on drugs to escape for a quick there's a lot of reasons so i'm not going to make it you know but if if they felt connected and they could talk to their parents and they felt more connected i'm not saying you still won't have some trouble because you know you can do everything right and people can still be influenced by their peers and go off and run. But if you have that strong connection spiritually with your kids, they will come to you because they're not going to be put down for not because you don't like what they want to do or you don't like who they want to be. And, and I'll tell you, my children challenged me a lot in that area because they were very creative, dynamic people. And I didn't always see what was good, that it was good for them, but I is as I said, as long as they were safe and it was a, they weren't in any harm. It was an emotional experience. Then okay, try it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Tell me about your new book, The Man Thing: One Hundred oh, Interviews yeah. with Men. What's that all about? I have always, you know, most of my clients. I have a lot of male clients, but most of my clients are women. I mean, I have, 
And I think men use astrology in a wonderful way, particularly like CEOs and people. A lot of times the men who come, they use it as a, a source of information, not the soul, because they want to make up their own mind. And I think everybody should. I, I don't like people to come to me and want me to answer their problems. They, I'll give them the information about themselves, but they have to make up their own decisions. You know, I can help them with consequences to their choices, but I'm not going to make that decision for them. <laughs> and um, men are better at that than women because women, women kind of can embrace this self-help and knowing, and they're wonderful that way. And um, so after doing this for, what, 30 years, I kind of think, you know, I've been through such an evolution of women and men in society, you know, where we really had separate roles and where the sexual revolution and the whole thing and no women. Um, and I said, I don't really know how men really feel about it or really feel about being a man. And I said, I really would like to know. And I made up this questionnaire five years before I used it. I made it up and I, when I actually decided to book my first interview, I, I just changed a few of the questions, updated it, and it blew me away. I realized that if I didn't know all this about men that was coming out of this man's mouth, then other people really didn't know other women particularly and to tell you the truth found out other men because men don't talk to each other as much as they should and they were as fascinated to hear what other men had to say as the women were in fact i actually think when this book comes out that it will this the sleeper audience will be men because i think men need to know about men particularly now more than ever so without divulging your entire book to everybody so they don't have to read it, what, what are a couple of uh, well, okay, things so that the men first, don't know about themselves? Oh, I'd be happy to tell you. And the thing is, is that this is not by interview, it's by subject. It's related by, so you get to see with a few set, how a lot of different men feel about the same subject mm. on one side or the other. And it's very, it's very raw, it's very funny, it's very insightful, it's very stupid and tragic and... It's wonderful. I mean, I, I got such wonderful people to open, and they opened up. But, okay, so what did, the first thing that I learned about men that just blew me away was how difficult it was to be a man. <laughs> With women, you know, we've always been jealous of the, uh, you know, men get all the breaks and this. But I never realized that men were under constant pressure to be manly, to mm. act to the ma masculine image. Yes, they're breaking away from that. And I didn't interview millennials except from 29 to 70, I, just more towards the 30s. And um, so the millennials, I think, are a different ball game, but you need to know where everything is coming from before you go to where it's gone to. So I was really blown away at how much stress and how much it influenced so many of their choices that were not necessarily beneficial to them what was beneficial to keeping the masculine image. And, um, and actually my heart went out to them because I started to realize that, um, you know, we make a lot of judgments and they're often silent and they never correct the mistake because they wouldn't do that. That would make them vulnerable, that would not be. So they just keep silent. I see it in my son. In fact, one of the funniest things is men don't tell you unless they have an answer also. 
They will not tell. If you say, well, you know, I ask him to find something out for me and get back to me. And I don't hear from him for days. So I think he doesn't care. He's forgotten. And then I find out, well, I don't have the answer. Well, couldn't you let me know? Like a woman, we would let you know we didn't have the answer. A man is never going to give you the answer until he has that answer. And he won't even let you know he's tried and he doesn't have the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the funny things. It's much more serious. (laughs) But it's like some of the stupid things that have driven us all crazy, our lives, like asking for directions. That is like the funniest thing in the world. My son gets very upset when we go to to the pharmacy and he's looking for this. And I say, which aisle is it on? He said, why did you ask them? You know, because I don't want to spend 10 minutes running up and down every aisle. (laughs) (laughs) But I asked one guy that question. Young man, actually. He was one of the young, he was one of the 29ers. And, um, And if I hadn't watched this program on animals the day before, it wouldn't have made as much sense because if you watch any of these amazing um, documentaries on wild animals and how, how the tribes work and how the alpha male really has older women and the other guys, only if he's looking the other way or something's hurt, he's vulnerable or when they jump on the woman, they get a chance for sex because otherwise that alpha male is in charge of it all. And I thought, okay, okay. So I was watching that with the koala bears in Australia. <laughs> and, and so the next day I'm having this guy and I said, well, just, this is all, you know, kind of, I don't even know if I wanted to include it. I said, can you just tell me what is the big deal about asking that? for directions and he looked at me for a minute like I was crazy and he said well he said because if you do somebody could take your woman and I actually understood it because of the show because if he didn't know where he was going or what he was doing even though we don't I don't think we think that way um, he they felt vulnerable enough that they would lose their position and, mm. and men are very primal some men are so connected to that animal instinct just the way they talk and the words they use women are not so connected to that and i found that men often refer to themselves as the lion or the buck or this or some kind of primitive word you know and i thought wow you know they're still driven by a lot of those primal drives and mm-hmm. And we have trouble understanding it because we're not as driven by that. We're driven by a different kind of primal drive. But mm-hmm. um, so I think that this book is going to give people a greater understanding of how men think. The fathers and sons, tragic how many men don't have father influence or mentors and their stories. Um, I also did a lot of research within the book. Um, there's a part on femininity. They blew me away and how much they actually value the feminine and some of their expressions of it and how we give it away. We don't, we don't value the feminine as much as we should. And the feminine is strong in its own way. And I think a lot of women are losing touch with that side of themselves trying to compete with men and they can still have have it and be feminine and I would never want to give that up and when they reach that chapter on femininity I think it might open some eyes because I was very very impressed with it um I was in awe of it actually 
they blew me away at how smart and wise they were. When I did a workshop in London with some of the quotes that I had on these men, the woman stopped me and they said, now you're going to tell me men said this. A man actually said this. <laughs> because they don't talk. They don't share their wisdom. And we talk all the time. Yeah. We'll call up our girlfriends. We'll discuss a problem. Men hold it in. And only with a, a really good friend do they have those kind of conversations. And that's why the men who came to see me, at first it was the one I, I knew. And then I was, I never picked up more men at parties than right in this book. Oh, you come for an interview. It's <laughs> 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 a great line, by the way. But <laughs> and, and then, of course, people sent me... Um, their friends and their husbands or their whatever and and so sometimes somebody would come through the door and I'd say, Oh, I don't really like this person. Because they were cocky or they seemed, you know. But then after five minutes of talking to them, because the one thing I was able to do is make people relax and open up. And when they're opening their heart and telling you the truth, let me tell you something. There's nothing sexier than the truth. When you say it not as a victim, when you share what, how you really feel, even if it makes you vulnerable. And I wish the world would really know that because, because we hold all this in and we always try to be so strong and that's the ego part. So strong and in charge of everything. And yet when they shared their vulnerabilities, it's when I love them the most, instantly. Mm-hmm. There's no more about the facade, about this. It was heart to heart. And well, it's a, you know, that typical animal instinct where you, you know, if you've, if you have a cat or a dog, what is their, <clears throat> when they become really comfortable with you, their, their go-to sort of thing is to lie on their back and sort of open up their stomach to you. And so that's their vulnerable moment. And men are sort of taught never to do that because the, you know, because that. they can be taken advantage of in some sense by either well, a peer you know, or somebody else or whatever. You know that the men who try to be, how many men told me, I opened up to my girlfriend, or she was probably not long, too long. I opened up to my girlfriend and I shared about everything. She said, I can't be with you anymore. You're too, you're too sensitive, whatever. So men get a horrible response to, you know, women say, oh, I want a sensitive man. I want him to be one. I want, you know, but then they go for the alpha king who's like selfish and narcissistic or whatever. It doesn't mean he has to be, but a lot of alphas can be. So, you know, what, what I'm talking about is, are you clear on what you really want? You say you want strength, but then you want this. And yet when you see this, you put it down. So like men get a lot of mixed messages and that's why they're boxed in and they don't know which way to turn. Mm-hmm. And um, I am so excited about this book. Because I really, it's also why men don't go to doctors, because they'd be vulnerable. Why men don't, why men drink too much, because they don't talk to anyone, so they have to escape. Why men commit suicide more than women, and, the, and it's growing all the time. I mean, it's a problem, and it's tragic, and, and I, I would like to make a difference in that area. That's awesome. By starting a conversation. Yeah. It's it's important. It, uh, you know, when you look at the unfortunate gun violence and thing that's going on, it's usually perpetuated by men who are frustrated and feel, um, you know, marginalized or what have you. And it comes down to your ability to somehow express your manliness. And if you can't at some point, uh, 
as Anthony Robbins talks about, we, we all need a sense of significance. And I think at the end of the day, if you can't find it in, in traditional means, you, you'll do That's it in some key. violent manner. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and I think that it gave a lot of men strength to know that, that other men had the same feelings they have and were struggling with some of the same things. And then there were some men who had the strength to open up and offer a voice to another man or support. I remember one guy who was Italian too, you know, very macho friend of my daughter's and, and he went through a divorce and he said, when I interviewed him, he said, you know, I was with my, this friend of mine, a good friend of mine, and he started opening up about his relationship. And he said, and then it, it just made it easier. I didn't want to, but I opened up about mine. And he said, and it made me feel a lot better, even though I'm still uncomfortable with it. What you see, if somebody else does, it gives you permission to. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Well, that's part of the spirit of this show for me is to uh, connect with different people. And hopefully they, they are able to be relatively vulnerable about who they are and how they've become who they are and how they've been influenced so that they can somehow, you know, transcend that to other people. And that experience can be. Absolutely. When you see how somebody, I love to find out how people become who they are, whatever that is. I love the story, that early story of, what gets you to where you're going. And there's a lot to learn from it because, because people wonder how you get, well, you have to have, you don't have to, you have to be focused whether you're focused on the wrong thing or the right thing, because you can go in the wrong direction and get to where you're supposed to go because you're focused and you're trying and you're learning. So it's like being misdirected, but you're moving. And Mm -hmm. if you're moving and learning, you're growing and you will get to that fork in the road and, and you'll make the right turn somehow. But it's hard to get to some place that you don't even know exists that you're supposed to be. You have to, you know, Joseph Campbell says a lot. He has a book on, and he, he felt he meandered through Europe for a couple of years of his life, and then he ended up teaching at that college, women's college, um, whatever, uh, Wellesley or whatever. And, and he said it was those two years of meandering that really allowed him. And this is what we don't allow anybody to. That's what my son did when he went down to the island. Mm -hmm. He didn't build his businesses right away. He was kind of a free spirit. He had a bar in Dominican Republic for a short time, and then he went back and tried all sorts of different things, and then he came into his own. Yeah. And, And so you don't come into your own if you don't allow yourself to discover who you are. And I think there's so much pressure, particularly on young people today, who have to present themselves. I had one guy, actually he was my, my personal trainer who I work out with. He said he, got, he once took a girl on vacation, and his whole vacation was taking pictures of her walking on the beach, going into the water, sitting here. It was, he said, I couldn't even talk to her. I had to take a picture of her. Now, how horrible is that? <laughs> The insta-life strategy, unfortunately. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. you know, I want people to see where I am. I don't want to enjoy my vacation. I want other people to be envious of it. Yeah. You know, no, that's not how it's done if you want to be happy. Because there's always going to be somebody who has a better life, a, a better face, a better this, a better experience. And you'll be looking for that what moment of recognition instead of fulfilling yourself and doing what you really love and not caring what anybody else thinks. Yeah. 
This has been a wonderful conversation. I want to, I'm going to bring it to a close by asking you my final question, which is um, when you perish from this earth, and I hope it's not for many, many years to come, um, what do you hope people um, sort of say about you that you've influenced in your life? Well, I know already that I have helped change lives. And if I got nothing beyond what I've done now, I would feel that I was not here for naught. And then I know that I've influenced people and helped them get on their path. And I think that's always been my mission, even when I was a little girl and didn't know it. You know, I just, I wanted, I, I love wisdom and truth. I am always learning. And I want people to do, hope to inspire people to do the same because I really believe you can be whatever you want to be, whatever you think you can become. If you really believe it and you put your heart and mind in it, I, I see the universe step in and give you opportunity, but you have to reach for them. They don't drop in your lap. Mm. The opportunity comes by, like my brother-in-law said, well, I'd like to become, well, I had to do something to get that Pan Am job. I had to, to do something for it. But if I did, I would get there. But it's not like, oh, here, we want to hire you. You know, and people think they're afraid to take that step. They're afraid to take a risk. Take a risk and fail. It doesn't matter. Learn from that failure. Mm -hmm. uh, experience life and enjoy it. Enjoy the ups and the downs. Because we, my part of, part of my purpose is about pleasure and to be able to enjoy it. That's Venus. What is real pleasure? Pleasure is when you can... Know what brings you joy, what brings you happiness, and give yourself time to have that in your life. I have, I asked, I turned the 12 signs of the zodiac into 12 questions about your parents. And one of them is, how much joy did your mother get from life? Do you know out of the thousands of people that I've asked that question, how very few can say she did? Hmm. Most automatically is no, she didn't. Well, and if your parents didn't enjoy life, you will either be the opposite. We repeat or oppose our parents until we learn to choose. So you'll either have trouble enjoying life because nobody around you knew how to do it, or you will seek it. Hmm. Oh, now I had a bit of both because my parents did know how to enjoy things. And, but I have to tell you, it's not a, a question for my kids. They know that, they don't have to take care of my joy. I take care of that. When we want to travel and go, I, they don't have to look after me. I, I love reading a great book. I can be on my own. They can do their thing. I do not need somebody else to make me happy. And I enjoy their company. I enjoy the company of my dear friends. But I know how to make me happy. And if mm -hmm. I could teach that to everybody else out there, how wonderful would that be? That's awesome. That's a great way to finish. It's been wonderful to talk to you and really, really cool to meet you. Um, and thank you for influencing my life, even though you never intended to. But uh. <laughs> Well, it's out there and, and I will love it. And I'll be, I will send this podcast to all my clients so they can get awesome. see some new fans. <laughs> cool. Well, it will be out as of next Wednesday. I'll send you all the links and stuff. And uh, hopefully we, this is not the last time we connect. I hope uh, when I'm down in New York next, we'll, we'll meet face to face. Uh, I would love it. I look forward it was to it. Wonderful to meet you. Thanks Linda for your time. Bye-bye.